that's that's my platform for this. Um, okay, so we've been we're talking about vision, we're talking about what it means to to we're, we're laying out a we've been laying out a vision for the church, uh, for what God is doing in us, through us, with us, and in spite of us, and um, so I I want to continue on that. Uh, one time a question was put to Helen Keller. The question was this. What would be worse than being born blind? Her reply was simple and very pointed. Having faith, I'm sorry, having sight without a vision. This is coming from a blind woman. According to Proverbs 28:19, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The King James calls that a progressive vision. This verse is often quoted for people in churches when they talk about a vision for the church or a vision for individuals. We've heard, we've used this term vision so many different ways over the years. Last week, we learned a little bit about the vision of the full church participation in God's work as it was laid out by John Wimber in the early days of the Vineyard Movement a number of years ago. A couple of weeks ago, Dick and Eric talked about the vision for our church, for Lakes Region Vineyard, over the coming year, which includes the ministries to which we will give support, participate in, take part in, among those being the Love 146 Task Force, the School of Kingdom Ministry and its extension, discipleship through small groups, and discipleship as a whole and continuing the life on mission, and others. So Christians want to cast a vision as a way of forming a direction for our lives as we attempt to go about God's work in this world as we see it. The problem comes when sometimes we don't even know what it is we're supposed to be looking for, let alone what are we supposed to be seeing in terms of a vision. From time to time in my 46 years of being a Christian, I've occasionally experienced visual manifestations from the Holy Spirit called visions. There's a slight difference there. Through those manifestations or momentary visitations of the Holy Spirit, I have seen what I believe to be angels. I've seen God in his majesty as though from a distance, never seeing clearly his face, but his brilliance and his radiance was never diminished. I've seen the splendor of heaven, although without perfect clearness, clarity. Oftentimes these momentary visions have come during intense periods of worship for me. At other times throughout the years, I've also seen visions that the Lord has used to encourage people through prophetic ministry although I do not consider myself to be a prophet in the larger sense of church direction or guidance. For many years, I thought about what it would like to be ex to experience to, uh, a single, clear, direction-giving, purpose-calling type of vision of my life. And we've been taught, we had been taught for many years, that we're supposed to have one. And my first question was, okay, what's it supposed to look like? 
So I've even experienced guilt a number of times over the fact that I did not have what I believed to be a clear-cut personal vision for my life. So I came to think, as I grew up in the charismatic movement, that lack of an all-encompassing and all-fulfilling vision for my life demonstrated a lack of personal connection to God. And I came to equate not having a vision with not having the Lord be my Lord and Savior. I've come to realize over time that a personal vision is not something that lays out my entire life before God. Rather, it is an ever-unraveling, ever-changing set of goals, objectives, and activities, all of which have a single purpose in mind. So for me, it is to the purpose that I look now as my personal vision. Last week, Dick spoke about vision and said that vision is the fuel that runs the engine's momentum. And being the person that I was, thinking, that, thinking the way I thought, I felt like I didn't have enough momentum. I felt like I was never getting anywhere, kind of treading water as a Christian, kind of playing it safe, waiting for the Lord's return, because I didn't have a vision that laid out, this is the way, walk ye in it. But when Dick said that, vision is the fuel that runs the engine's momentum, he indicated that we don't have to have the kind of vision before us about what we're doing or where we're going in the kingdom. If we don't have that, sometimes we can come to a standstill. It's during times of not understanding or having a vision that the enemy might interfere in our lives with circumstances or it might be our own lack of vision that creates discouragement or distress or even depression that causes us to falter in our faith, stumble in our trust in God's work through us, sometimes God's work in us. And so we lose focus of God, we start focusing on ourselves. But we constantly need to be looking ahead. We need to reach further than our spiritual grasp can reach at the moment in order to experience God, in order to know God, and in order to glorify God. Therefore, the vision that we must have will continue to propel us toward forward in kingdom life. I was talking with Tony this morning about vision after the, the first service, and we got talking about that word progressive. Well, to digress means to go backwards or to go astray from a topic, but to progress means to move in a particular direction. And that's why God wants us to have a progressive vision, because it's a vision that's on the move. It's not a vision that's stationary. We should not expect a single, solitary, momentary vision that will encompass our lives' purpose in God's eyes. In God's eyes, I'm sorry. Jesus said in John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, as he was speaking to the disciples, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And yet we know from history that 
even after the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit and the falling of the tongues of fire, as of tongues of fire, we know that even at, at various times after that, that the spiritual manifestations weren't, it wasn't constant. The Lord did certainly give direction. He said, go. Go back to Jerusalem. Go here. Go there. Go to Samaria. Go. Make disciples. So there was some direction there, but at the same time, it, not everything they did was hung up on that direction. Jesus knew that revealing too much at one time would be overwhelming to the disciples. And God knows that the same is true for us today. We couldn't handle it if he were to lay out everything before us and say, this is what you will do. We wouldn't be able to do it because our nature is that, is that we would become so overwhelmed by that, many of us would give up. Thus, our vision must follow a progression. It must follow an emerging revelation that will move us from one point to another in our lives. Vision must be movement. Sometimes people ask the question, how do I know I'm hearing from God? Or how do I know the vision I'm hearing is coming from God and not from me? There's no easy answer for that. But I know that we're all required to cultivate and nurture our personal relationship with God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We have to put our faith in God. We have to put our faith in his word that his word will become true in our lives. When we attempt to create our own vision based on our strengths, abilities, desires, then that vision is usually flawed, incomplete, and sometimes it's really not even a vision more a want. Years ago, I had a vision of a worship school. It never came to pass. Something I always wanted because I love to worship the Lord and, and, and that's always been something that's dear to my heart. And I thought I wanted to do that for God. He didn't want me to do it for him. He wanted me to do something different. So I believe the product of my life today has been walking out God's vision for my life. And had I pursued that, not to say that a school of worship wouldn't have worked, but I hadn't given it fully to God. It was something I wanted to do for him. So the vision was flawed. I recognize that now. Certainly didn't recognize it earlier. So creating a personal vision apart from God is risky. Because it can lead to sin, or at least it can lead to disharmony with God and with the brethren. Knowing Jesus' vision for his people means that we can respond with a personal vision for our lives that is consistent with God's plan for our lives. So a personal vision from God must be plausible, participatory, perceptive, purposeful, and productive. To be plausible means to be believable. First, we must believe that a vision comes from God, that a vision is by God, 
Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So what I do, I give to the Lord and he will establish the plans by which I can walk out the vision that he has already planned for me. We must trust that God, what God is delivering to us in terms of a vision is believable and doable. You see, God will not call us to something which he cannot uphold. He will not call us to an, uh, an unreachable vision. He calls us to a vision that we can attain with his help. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when God begins to deliver a vision, something that moves you from place to place, he's going to bring it, he's going to give it to you. And when you believe it, commit it to him, receive it from him, and operate in that, then he will uphold you. A vision from God must be participatory. We must recognize that God has given it to us because he wants us to be involved. God enjoys working with his people. He enjoys seeing us glorified in his glory. Jesus often said, Father, glorify thy name. Rick Warren, the author of the widely acclaimed book, The Purpose Driven Life, wrote, when you, see, when you use your God-given abilities to help others, you are fulfilling your calling. I changed that to say you're fulfilling your vision. When you use your God-given abilities to help others, you're fulfilling the vision that God has for you. You see, God wants us to work together. We work with him. This is our personal vision and we give to others, and God works in others through us, and he is glorified. The Bible says in today's English version in Romans, now you belong to him in order that you might be useful in the service of God. You see, he wants to use us. If we obey him when he gives us something, then he will use those abilities that we have in order to help others. The most important thing we can do for God is to let God reveal his glory through our lives. And the most valuable thing we can do for God is to let God reveal his glory through our lives. Nothing we can do brings greater tribute to God. Nothing more fully accomplishes God's purposes than our allowing to reveal his glory through our lives. This is our purpose. God's personal vision for us needs to be perceptive. It needs to be discerning. It will be sharply attuned to spiritual things that God wants us to pay attention to. Spiritual discernment is the ability to tell the difference between truth and error. It's basic to having wisdom. 
Some have mistakenly defined spiritual discernment as a God-given awareness of evil or good spiritual presences, the ability to tell if a demon is in the room. And while some people may possess that capability, and that does happen from time to time through the spirit of knowledge and discernment, it's not the entire biblical meaning of discernment. Spiritual discernment, according to the Bible, ultimately has to do with wisdom and the ability to distinguish truth from error. So God wants us to be perceptive. He wants us to be hearing the spiritual things. By knowing and obeying the word of God, by communicating with him and interacting with him, by putting forth our abilities and our talents for him, we will be, according to Hebrews, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We will know God's character, and we will know God's will. So that question of how do I know it's from God, when we are operating in the training that comes through obedience, we move in those things which he speaks to us, and it itself is confirmation that we are working, walking the vision. So this is the heart of spiritual discernment being able to distinguish the voice of the world from the voice of God and to have a sense that this is right or that is right or this is wrong or that is wrong, hearing the Father's voice. As we consider the purpose of our lives in hopes of building a personal vision, we often ask questions such as, what do I want to do with my life? What am I inspired to do with my life? Our ultimate purpose in this world should be to imitate Christ. I want to repeat that. Our ultimate purpose in this world should be to imitate Christ, to be united with him. If I'm united with Christ, then my life will take on not only the direction of Jesus' life, but also its quality. We spend a lot of time thinking about the plot for our lives, but God's more interested in our character development. The reality of my union with Jesus speaks to both, both the plot and the character. Because Jesus is living in me by his spirit, my character gradually conforms to his character. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his, in the, his beloved. Romans 8.29 states, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many, other, many brothers. In other words, holiness doesn't happen with the outworking. Holiness happens from the inside out. It's not about me struggling my way here in the world. It's not about me trying to be more like Jesus. It's not about me trying to develop a vision. Instead, it's about Jesus living in my heart. It's about Jesus making his home in me. 
and remodeling his own house. This was, in fact, the primary point of Jesus' incarnation for our redemption. Martin Luther put it this way. The Logos, Jesus the Word, the Logos puts on our form and pattern, our image and likeness, so that it may clothe us in its image, its pattern, and its likeness. So we put on the likeness of Christ. We become imitators. It is freeing to take our eyes off the unknowable variables of our future, and it is freeing to focus instead on cooperating with the Spirit of God as he works to transform our hearts into the image of Jesus. That transformation is the one thing that we can be certain God has in store for our lives. So our vision is focused. Finally, our vision must be productive. There must be a result, something that, something that causes an effect from our walk as we emerge from revelation to revelation. When Jesus was 12 and his parents took him to Jerusalem, he left them at one point, and they began their journey home, assuming that he was in the crowd. Three days later, they found him in the temple, speaking with the religious leaders of the time, and the Bible says, confounding them with his wisdom. Joseph and Mary asked him what he was doing. Jesus replied, how is it that you sought me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? This was his vision. To exercise God's personal vision, we need to be about our heavenly father's business. We must devote ourselves to using our time, our energy, our talents, and our abilities in the best way possible, pursuing God's purposes for our life and for the lives of those around us. That's the best thing we can do, pursue God for ourselves and for others. We respond to God's love for us by expressing our love for him by committing to faithfully being as productive as possible every day of our lives from now on. We ought to live in one-day segments. This was really helpful to me, one day at a time. We ought to live in one-day segments of faithful obedience. Can I do the next 24 hours obedient to God? Doing the best that we can each new day to do whatever we sense God is calling us to do during that time. So day by day, the vision will grow. The vision will change. Then we must renew our commitment to serve God when we wake up to each fresh new day. His mercies are new every morning. So is his vision. So how do we go about recognizing God's vision in our lives? Well, first, having a vision does not mean that we have a plan for our whole lives, our entire lives. Instead, we must have a journey that is mapped out for us by God so that we are in a constant state of movement. Having vision means we're actively working towards putting God's vision put to work in our lives. Our faith is active. It is engaging. We're not rewarded for what we think or for the plans that we make, but rather we're rewarded for how we display the life of Christ and the glory of God. Our vision then is to be imitators of the Lord. 
and of his ministry. Jesus ministered to the poor. He healed the sick. He comforted the brokenhearted. He taught the faithful. And he gave up his life so that people like us could enter into fellowship with him. You have a plan to follow God's leading in your life? It doesn't have to be complicated. It's simple. Believe him. Trust him. Obey him. Commit it to him. Know him. Love him. Hear him. Follow him. Jesus declared his calling and his vision in Luke 4.18 when he read from the Old Testament in the synagogue in Nazareth. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was his vision. This was his calling. It, too, should be our vision and our calling. If we allow God to adjust and to build our vision as a replication of Christ's ministry, then we will experience momentary visions. But more likely, we will both receive and participate in consistent manifestations of the Holy Spirit as he reveals that vision. And therefore, we can be productive in God. So if you need a vision, if you're not sure where you are, if you're not sure what your purpose is, let me make it simple. Hear him, obey him, commit to him, love him, follow him. This should be our vision. If you'd like some prayer for this, I invite leaders, prayer team people to come forward and join me. Somebody will be here to pray with you. doesn't matter where you are right at the moment with your vision. First, maybe you need to give up your vision. Start seeking after God's. If you need a renewal of your vision, I encourage you to come up, speak to somebody up here to pray with you. Don't wander another day in confusion or indecision when it comes to God's revelation of purpose for you. I no longer care about the plot. I care about the purpose. Find the purpose in your vision. Find your vision in God. Father God, I lift up this people to you, and I ask, Lord, that you would impart a vision, that you would help us, O oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit to see where you are leading us day by day, moment by moment. Encourage in us, Lord God, and build in us a faith to hear you, the wisdom to follow you, Lord God, to know the right thing to do, to act, Lord God. Give us the strength and the power and the courage. Use us, Lord God, wherever we can be used. Let us be productive to bring glory to your kingdom. Grant to us a vision of purpose 
that you would be glorified in us and through us here in the church and to the world at large. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.